0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church, from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad you guys are here. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah and also in Luke chapter 2. But let me say, uh, before we jump into it, you know, church, we... Sometimes can think of church as just an hour on Sunday morning, and certainly it's an important gathering as we get together, but as a church, we don't want to just invest in an hour. Uh, We want to invest into each other, and I'm so proud of uh, over this last Advent season as we've gone through these Sundays in Advent, which is where we are, if you didn't know, you're in Advent, by the way. And this is the third Sunday in Advent. And just to see everybody come together from the women's event that we had. Uh, some of you were there, right? Anybody? I was there. I was serving food, which was awesome. And then yesterday we had our families come together. It was uh, so much fun to see the kids dressed up as uh, donkeys and horses and angels. And uh, just a blast yesterday to see all of those relationships connecting and just being together. And so uh, just want to... Uh, to be proud of my church. Yeah, way to go, guys. Good job. Hey, this is Advent season and we're in the third Sunday. And as you can see, maybe that word right there, I'm curious your relationship to it. Maybe you're here today and you kind of show up and say, really, Joy Sunday? I'm not really there right now. Joy can be a difficult thing, in a sense, to walk in when it's imposed on you. Have joy. Right? Go ahead. Go ahead, guys. Just have joy some joy. I mean, how, how has your year been? Is joy the word that captures it? And I imagine for many of us, there's moments, right? There's moments of great joy and happiness, and yet life is, is life. Life is hard. And as we go through this Advent season, part of the reason we do this as a church is to recognize some aspects of the church calendar. The church calendar follows the life of Jesus. I don't know if you realize this, and it begins with where we are today, which is Advent. And Advent is a time of waiting. We're waiting on the one hand for Jesus to come, to return, but we're also looking back, right? We're looking back to his first arrival, and we're celebrating that, and that leads us to Christmas Day. And Christmas Day is a celebration of his birth. So we're waiting for his birth. We celebrate his birth, and you know Christmas is not one day, right? It's the 12 days of Christmas where all these birds, I guess, are given away. And then after Christmas comes that period of celebrating the life of Jesus and we start to focus that he is the son of God and he's the king of kings, then that takes us into a season of Lent where we look at his humility and his suffering for us. So as we kind of address time and as we see time moving forward, we walk into that space of humility and we follow Jesus to the cross and Good Friday and then it's Easter, right? Celebration, yay! Flowers are coming out and all the good stuff and we celebrate seven weeks of Easter, which leads us then to his ascension, that Jesus ascended to the Father, which means as he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and descended, and that's Pentecost. And then that leads into ordinary time, and that's just life, life with Jesus. And that's what we're following in this Advent season, but today, you need to be joyful. So just go ahead, guys. Leave today and just be the jolliest bunch of people this community has ever seen, yeah, how easy is that? It's not easy. It, sometimes it can be, but I think when we see that word joy, maybe you have one of three negative reactions. Can we just be honest first? And the first negative reaction is, okay, I know I'm supposed to be, and that's what God says, be joyful always. You know, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Well, what if I don't feel like it? I guess as a Christian, the right thing to do is to, to fake it, right? Just pretend. You know the answer to the question, how you doing, brother? Just great, man. Living life, just living the dream. Yeah, it's awesome. Sometimes we think the way to walk through that season as Christians is just to pretend, to fake it. And maybe you don't fake it, but what you think is joy is something i got to work on. It's a project that I need to cultivate in my life, and so we think of joy as something I need to produce. It's something I need to, uh, just kind of, I don't know how that works. I need to get it out there, and we see joy as something we have to work on or produce or it has to get a lot of hard work into. Otherwise, if it's not pretending and it's not working, I think the third one that some of you may be at is give up, right? It's too hard. And the idea of walking in joy or thinking of joy is actually quite frightening at times. That hope of, can I experience that joy? I'm just going to give up on it. Because let's be honest, let's kind of look and survey our year or maybe survey the world. Where, where's joy? Where do you see that? And if we don't see it in the world, and then at the, I think the holiday seasons around Thanksgiving and Christmas, all these, I find for myself, memories come back. Some of them are really great. But because they're really great, they're also really sad. Sad because those people are no longer there, or that time, that age is gone, that time of strength in my own life or opportunity. or Maybe you're a member of parents or relatives who are gone, children who have passed away, spouses who have passed away. And so as we get into the Advent season and Christmas, it can be hard, can't it? Am I speaking to anyone today? Okay, good. It can be hard. So what do we do with this announcement of the angels? I bring you good news. Okay, of great joy, which is for all the people. Friend unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. How do you relate to joy? If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to anchor it back in Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't know this, the story of Jesus is not something that begins in the New Testament. It's anchored in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's kind of the storyline that leads up to Jesus. And Jesus embodies the promises of Israel in the Old Testament. So we have to kind of get back in that ancient story to understand who Jesus is and the joy that he wants for us. So if you guys want to jump there, we're at Luke chapter 2. i We're going to pick it up in verses 8 to 12, and then we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. You guys ready? Okay, let's do it. Luke chapter 2. And swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, for the people who walked in darkness, have now seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And then jump down to verse six. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you. Would you pray for me? Father, I thank you that that we're your family. We're called your sons and daughters, and so we share so much in common with one another, though we may not know each other. We have the life of Christ that dwells within us. We have the promise that we have been redeemed and rescued And in that space, Father, we need each other to walk alongside those challenges in life to direct each other towards you. So this morning, as we gather together, Holy Spirit, would you you bring us to a place of stillness and ease so that we might hear your voice? We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you do? With the announcement, I bring you good news of great joy. Well, what we do is we're going to start in Isaiah, because Isaiah's day was not a day of good news or great joy, but instead it was a day of tremendous difficulty, suffering, and darkness. I don't know if you know this about Isaiah. Everybody hated him, because you hate the guy that brings bad news, right? And that's basically what the prophets were. They killed a lot of the prophets, and they would throw them into pits, actually, because they would tell the truth. And they were saying, guys, your rebellion against God, it's not going to go well. I love you enough. I want to tell you that the direction your life is going, it's going to collide with God and it's going to sink. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's kind of telling the nation of Israel, Judah to the south, Israel to the north, if you remember that from last week, saying, guys, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And bad news is on the horizon. This is how bad it is. If you jump back in chapter 8 of Isaiah, he paints a lovely picture of what life is going to look like. And here's what he says. And they will look to the earth. And when they look to the earth, what are they going to see? Darkness, distress, gloom, anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is your day. That's not a pretty picture. And Isaiah, he's prophesying. Realize he's in uh, the 8th century B.C., And he's prophesying to this northern kingdom, which is called Israel. If you kind of remember, there were 12 tribes in Israel because Jacob had 12 boys. And out of those 12 boys comes 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes kind of established themselves in the land, 10 to the north. And you can put that picture up if you want to. And two to the south, which is Judah. And what he's saying is this darkness, it's coming on that northern kingdom of Israel and it's gonna come in the form of a bully. There's a lot of bullies in the Old Testament. It starts kind of with Pharaoh as the big bully, and then you have these guys, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Persians, and then finally the Romans. And what's kind of unique about Israel where they don't seem to learn is they keep aligning themselves with political powers because they think political power will rescue them instead of aligning themselves with God and trusting in him. And what would happen is they align themselves with these political powers. And listen, for a couple of years, maybe uh, 10, 20, things were pretty good. But then what happens is those powers eventually turn on you, and what you rely on eventually begins to crush you. And that's what happens. The Assyrians are going to come in and wipe out this northern kingdom. And he's saying, guys, a time of great darkness is coming. He sees it ahead. But then in chapter 9, things begin to turn. Because see, after the darkness that's coming, light is going to come. So look at verse one. And he says, there will be no gloom. So there was gloom. Now there's gonna be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now let me pause there, because the land of Zebulun and Naphtali represent two of the 10 tribes. Again, if you wanna put that picture up there two of the tribes to the north. And when the Assyrians come in, I guess they really messed up Zebulun and Naphtali. They messed up the whole region in the northern kingdom, but they destroyed those communities. And it's saying those who were in anguish, those who went through suffering, one day is going to come where their gloom is lifted and light shows up. And where will it show up? Again, go back to verse one. It says, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. You know, that's the region in which Jesus performed most of his ministry. Jesus was around the Sea of Galilee. And Isaiah is saying a time's coming when gloom will be taken away and anguish anguish will be gone. And around the Sea of Galilee, towards the Mediterranean Sea, something's coming. And here's what it is. And you see this in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, verse 2. And the people who walked in darkness... They have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. So Isaiah, darkness is coming, guys. Bad days are ahead, but after those days, a light will come, a harvest will emerge. There's three images he uses here to describe what joy looks like. The first is light that appears in the darkness, and when that happens, you don't expect it. And suddenly, everything's illuminated. That's a picture of the unexpected joy that breaks into the world. The second image is a harvest. And it's that moment in the growth process where everything just comes to life. I've never really grown anything except kids, but I didn't have a lot of responsibility in that. And and there's just this moment where life and harvest is abundant, and you see it, and it's almost, it's spectacular. And the final one is spoils, that they're going to receive the benefits of a war, a battle they did not fight. And all of this is to say, here it is, joy is a gift from God. Joy is not something you fake, though it's nice to do that for the people around you. It's not something you produce. Joy is a gift From God. And we see that in Isaiah as we continue through the storyline in chapter 11. He he begins to, to tell us more about the nature of this joy. And the nature of what's coming. In Isaiah 11 verse 1. Here's how he describes it. And there shall come forth a shoot. From the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And again that doesn't probably mean a lot to us. A stump of Jesse. What in the world are we talking about? Well, it's referencing the the reign of King David. And if you think about the history of Israel, that's like a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. And the time of David was a time of prosperity and peace. It was a time in which they felt the blessing of God and they kind of assumed, hey, this is going to continue like all of us do, right? When things go good, do you expect it to stop? No, as human beings, we expect life, this is life, right? It's going to be great. We're going to have children and get married. We're going to get a job and everything's just going to, it's just going to continue. But what happened is that tree of David. And in the Old Testament, a tree is a picture of flourishing, righteousness, life, birds nest in it. And what's going to happen to the tree? The tree is going to become a stump. That's not a good day. And it's the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse is David's dad. And if you kind of remember that story where he had all these sons and this prophet comes to him, Samuel and says, hey, we're going to, one of your sons is going to be king. And he says, must be the strong guy, must be the good looking guy, must be the smart guy. And it's like, no, none of those. It's the runt who's out in the fields and it's David. And David leads to this time of prosperity. But Isaiah is saying all of that goodness, all of that joy that you had in that season of life, it's going to get cut off. And what's going to remain is just a stump and a stump. It's not attractive. I mean, have you driven up Squaw Pass lately, right? All the clearing. It's like I don't even recognize, it's just stumps. And I know it's important, right? We don't want our houses to burn down, so that's great. But it's ugly. Because a stump represents the end of something. But I think it's, an, it's something we can relate to. Because all of us have had those expectations All of us have have had those hopes and I think around Christmas and certainly in our culture, our culture tells you this is what life should look like. All those design shows that we just can't get enough. How many more design shows do we need? I mean, come on guys, stop watching them. I mean, the reason they keep showing up is we're watching them and and we're watching it, why? Because we think, okay, if I just, if I got that kitchen, yeah. That would do it, wouldn't it? That, those floors, have you seen those floors? And, and I love it how at the end of it, it's always, the house is so clean, right? It's like amazing. There's no dirt and there's no yelling at contract. It's just awesome. And we watch that stuff and our culture is constantly, isn't it, isn't it selling you? This is joy, this is joy, this is joy. That's why we need Christmas vacation, kind of reminds us, no, this is life, this is life. Life is hectic. And that's the world we live in. And we have these moments where our dreams and our hopes, they become, they become a stump. And then what do we do with that? You know, joy, I want to share this definition with you. Uh, joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. It's good to have joy in circumstances, not bad. But the joy it's describing is a joy that's anchored in the fact though there is a stump and those expectations have been destroyed, God still loves me. And he wants a future, he has a hope, he has a promise for me, which means I need to trust him. I need to trust him. Because joy is a gift from God. The challenge is, We keep anchoring our hope in things in the world. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We keep anchoring our hope in the stuff of life. And that's why we have books in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read Ecclesiastes? It's a story where Solomon goes out into life and he's like, hey man, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to enjoy sex. So he enjoys pleasure. He gets the best food, best wine builds huge kingdoms and palaces. And he looks at it, and you know what he says? Hey, there was fun in that. He doesn't deny it. Hey, there was some good times there. I enjoyed some great laughs and staying up late and laughing until my stomach hurt. But then the next day, I needed more. More sex. More money. More laughter. And he found out that purpose and meaning and the ability to enjoy life is a gift from God. And that's where Israel is. They're learning that joy is a gift from God. It's anchored in God's love and his promises for us. That's the first thing we see. And though joy isn't something we can work for, I wonder if joy is something we can prepare for. There must be something we can do in life so that our heart doesn't become hard. Because as you go through challenges, you can get calloused by the difficulties in life. And so what can we do to prepare our hearts to be softer or to be available to the joy that God wants for us? Because I do think he wants hope and peace and joy, but we're just not, we're not aware. We sang that song, they didn't sing it today, but joy to the world. You guys know how it goes. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare prepare him room. Is there something we can do that can prepare ourselves for the joy that God wants to give us? Because Paul says joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So joy is something that we can partner with. We can partner with the Spirit, but it's something that God wants to produce in us. It's a deeper reality. Happiness tends to be based on circumstances. Joy is based on a deeper internal reality that has a foundation that's firm. You know, I read about this study, and you'll see a lot of these studies today about the way that technology is changing us. And it's amazing how generations are so different. You know, we used to have generations that would go, I guess, Gen X to whatever would be like 20 years, and now these generations are like five because things are changing so rapidly. And they talk a lot about the way that technology influences us and how dumb we're becoming, in a sense. And, And I've felt that. I think back to vacations before cell phones. And what I specifically think, I had one of those flip phones back then, but uh, it didn't have GPS. Or if it did, I didn't know how to use it. And so when my kids were really, really little, we would often go to Maine. I had some friends with these little cabins way up in the northern area of Maine, beautiful. Uh, We'd get out on kayaks, see these moose, eating the grass, just just awesome times. And I remember back then, we used to have these things, called maps and and some of them were real nice you know did you guys have the laminated one some of you probably did and otherwise you had this like newspaper type thing that I could never quite fold back and you'd open it and you'd have to study it right you'd have to okay we're gonna go here and then some street and you'd write down all those and what would happen is you're driving when you're driving like that what are you doing You're scanning as you're driving the horizon and you start noticing stuff. Oh, there's a a yellow barn before we turn that that left hand. And then did you notice how the the road kind of winds and it goes, and there was that pothole right there. And then you had to take a right next to that little weird cabin. Looks like there's a serial killer there. Yeah, and you noticed what life was like. Now I notice when I go back to Maine and we go to a new location, I'm just, okay, take a right, take a left. And what I don't notice is the landscape. I don't notice the ugly tractor in front of a guy's house. I, I, I don't notice what's around me because I'm less, less aware to it. And I wonder if the flow of life, the flow of the world we're in, the materialism, it, it kind of makes us unaware to the joy that God wants to bring. And we have to have a mindset and, and kind of get into God's storyline of what life is going to be like. It's not gonna be, guys, HGTV or Hallmark or that moment in that movie where we want our life to match up to that picture. It's, we have to bring that picture to, to God and be willing to surrender it to him. And I think perhaps one of the things that causes us to miss it is we jump back in Luke chapter two. I want you to notice in Luke chapter two the way that joy showed up into the world because a lot of people missed it. You know, last week we talked about Simeon and he was in the temple and Mary and Joseph bring Jesus. You remember that story we looked at last week and Simeon's there and he's worshiping and he notices Jesus. I wonder if anyone else did and why didn't anyone else notice? cuz when Jesus began to do his ministry, you notice a lot of people didn't didn't notice. They didn't see it. And in a sense they weren't aware to what God was doing, the way he was working. And I think it's because sometimes we expect joy to show up on a beach in Hawaii. I mean, there's joy there. I'd like to find out one day. <laughs> a vacation in Vail. But did you notice in the nativity story, where did joy emerge? From a young, poor, peasant couple. It came out of poverty. It showed up in darkness. Some pretty ugly furniture in a barn, in a stable. Not the place I would guess you'd want to give birth. It Seems like an intimate moment for shepherds to show up and gaze in on this moment. I mean, who's doing the PR on this, guys? This is the son of God. This is the king of kings. We've had thousands of years promising his arrival. Who are we inviting? Are you kidding me? Somebody forgot to send out the invitations, the shepherds, the lowest of society. And the picture of the nativity story, it's a picture of humility. It's a picture of poverty. It's it's a picture of stillness and simplicity. It's a picture of service, self-sacrifice, this is where joy begins to emerge. And it surprises us. It's not where we expected. It. It's not who we expected it to come from. And I wonder if in a way during this season, we need the Holy Spirit to show us what we're missing, what we're going too fast to catch up to God with, to see the ways he is communicating to us. Now, I have a hard time shutting this down Not that there's a lot going on up there. But I'm one of those people that I I need distractions. And I think that's my problem. No, you don't. Sometimes you need to simply sit and be present. And in that presence, invite, invite God in. Whether it's just kneeling before your day as you go to work, maybe two minutes in the morning. Or as you transition during the day, as you're in the car, you find those moments just to acknowledge. Father, help me to see where you're at work in my life. Because see, I think joy is a gift, but it's an unexpected gift. It's a surprising gift. And here's the last idea. Joy is a person. That's what Isaiah is saying in chapter nine, isn't he? In verse six, he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulders and he shall be called wonderful counselor. This baby shall be called mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. C.S. Lewis calls the nativity story incurably irreverent. It's strange that this is the way that God would choose to come into the world and joy is a person. The, the psalmist pick up on that. In, in Psalm 16, it says, you make known to me the path of life. And where is that path of life? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You know, there's no Hebrew word for presence. There's no Hebrew word that captures that idea of being in someone's presence. The word presence literally in Hebrew is the same word for face. Psalmist is saying, when I look at your face, I see joy, and I receive joy. And that picture continues throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament, Psalm 34 picks up that same idea. I sought the Lord, he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look at him, look at his face, are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. As my face meets your face, what's in your face becomes a part of my face. We understand this as human beings. You see it all the time, guys. It's called an infant. How do infants respond to their mother? That child's crying, isn't it? Overwhelmed, afraid, and what do you do? Smile, right? And what happens to that child? Have you noticed those moments of connection? It's called mirroring. It's actually a part of the, our brain system. And that child begins to mirror the mother's emotions because the comfort that child knows, it's dependent. We just forget that we are. And we're created in the image of God to mirror God. Not to mirror money or the world. Not not to mirror my own philosophy, but to mirror God, which means as I look into the face of God, you're designed to reflect back to the world and to others the character of God. But see, we're running to all of these different places, aren't we? And sometimes I think we're mistaking that joy is coming through things instead of coming from things. Because what he's describing is that joy is, it's a person. Joy is a person. You know, I love how C.S. Lewis describes joy. And if you can't talk about joy without talking a lot about C.S. Lewis because his memoir is called Surprised, by joy. So if you're looking for a book on joy, I'd, I'd suggest to go there. But he talks about how often we mistake where joy comes from. And there are good things in life that we love family and great experiences and, and time together, vacations in Hawaii, nothing wrong with that. But what we do is instead of recognizing that joy came through that, we mistake it for joy itself. And this is how he describes that in his, in his book. He says, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located, they will betray us if we trust them. It's not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was this longing, this deeper desire. These things, the beauty, the memories of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But they're mistaken for the thing itself, and they turn into dumb idols. An idol's something we look to to get what God wants to give. And as you think of your life, what are those things in your life you're turning into sources of joy instead of vehicles of joy? Because there's nothing wrong with the pleasures, desires that God has given. He's designed us in a way to enjoy relationships, to enjoy life, to enjoy work. Work is a good thing and prosperity. But these are all, he says, a gift from God through which we're to connect to God, not to replace God with. And they turn into these dumb idols. They become empty. And here's how he finishes that. They turn into idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they're not the thing itself, they're only a scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. Where are we seeing joy and mistaking it for the source? I think in this Advent season, that's where we need to turn. In a repentance, the Bible says to repent. And sometimes we see that as a negative word. It's really quite positive. It just simply means to turn away from this thing and to turn towards God. And when the invitation from God is, I want to give you joy. And where does that joy show up? Guys, this is the thing in the New Testament is it often shows up in places of hardship, loss, Suffering, considerate joy when you face trials of many kind because you know the testing of your faith. I always think of the old spirituals and, and the African-American society and, and that period of slavery. They, there's this dynamic of harsh oppression, isn't there? And yet, where did their joy come from? And you look into those stories and you, you find even in the hardship, even in Israel when they were in slavery, there was this joy and I think we resist that. And so wherever you are, what would it look like, I don't know, today, just to turn? To identify good things in your life that you need to be grateful for and say, oh God, thank you for this and thank you for that. But you know what? I realize these are gifts through which you, you've given to me so that I might look and see you face to face, that what is in you might be in me. And you know, that's available as, as, as a step of faith. Just say, Father, forgive me. Help me to see what I'm setting my heart on. I want to turn towards you. And in this season, I want to see joy that comes through the birth of my Savior into the world. The Savior that makes life right as we we gaze upon what he wants for us. And we start to see the beauty of it. And then we start to see that beauty for others and we find service and self-sacrifice and we find stillness and humility and quiet in a place of worship with God. And then we multiply that in a community like this and, and then this place becomes a community of, of joy, not fake, because you don't want that. And we don't, need, and we don't need making it. We need worshiping. We need celebration. We need the presence of God because in his presence is fullness of joy. Hey, this morning we're gonna celebrate communion. And if you didn't grab the elements when you came in, I wanna invite you to do that now. The reason we do this is to remind ourselves of where salvation comes from. That God doesn't accept us, listen, because my marriage is right or because my life is right or my morality is right, he accepts us through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's through his broken body. It's through his shed blood that by faith in his sacrifice on the cross, I am made righteous, which means to be made acceptable before God. And so what we do every Sunday is it's not just an add-on. It's, it's, an, it's reflection. As we hold these elements, what is God stirring in your heart? What is he teaching you? What do you need to turn from so that you can turn towards him? Let's hold those elements together. Then after a time of prayer, we'll, we'll celebrate what God has done.